his chair over so you don't trip over that. Rachel, how you doing back there, honey? It's broadcasting? Okay. What's that? They do. You know, the, the church I saw them doing this, and that was our sister church in North Carolina, in Greensboro, uh, Shepherd's Fellowship, they would take questions in the middle of the service. They would stop. The pastor put a break in the message. So it was like halfway through, he would stop and he'd say, okay, this is a good time for you to, that need to go to the bathroom to go to the bathroom. But if anybody in here has a question, and then they would, take, they would field questions from the, yeah. from the people streaming. And they would, they would be asking questions about what he had already talked about. That's, that's active uh, feed. Yep. And then they came back in. He said, all right, people, we're going to start here in two minutes. And whether they were back or not for the bathroom, they started in two minutes. Of course, their bathroom was literally right there in the back of the church. And the church was just open. So that's Rachel opening her bag of something. Why not? They were wondering what the sound was. It's you. started the process with you and them and uh, we'll see what they say um, they were quick to set up a meeting they didn't just say no he's too old and turned him down they asked his age and they got his consent on I think Friday to, to go ahead and start the process of looking at things and when they found out that he had all the testing done for Henry Ford they were like um, we're, we're pretty pretty good with what it so in other words it's probably going to go right to their board so uh, put you and pray along for that 
there are other organizations. They all function on Michigan's code. So um, he is then, he'll be backlogged. The wonderful thing is he'll be backlogged to the beginning of working with Henry Ford for on the wait list if U of M approves him. So they said about three years for a cadaver kidney, but it can be much quicker for the ones that he's asking for. So yeah. he'll, be, he'll be retroactively on the list back to August of 2019 if they accept him. And if they don't accept him, we're gonna keep going until we're told at the last point, no, there's no way. You know, and if that happens, then of course, then we're out of options. But yeah, we can mention that to the church, and but especially if there's something to pray. I, I was also thinking that we, we might wanna have special prayer this morning for, for Claire May. Um, you know, and we do have sick in the church. There's not a, there's a lot of us that are gone because there's sickness out there. You know, but I'm worried about her sister, so. Anybody been to see her in the last day or two? Uh, I don't know what. Dale, when did you, did you see her, or, or did uh, yesterday? No, okay. So I don't think uh, anyone saw her. The day before yesterday, I talked to her on the phone. Okay. But you never apologize to me. You call me all the time. Because I know you, you uh, just continue loving us anyhow. <laughs> That's your responsibility, brother. Not <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to call. He just assumes you're going to do the right thing. Okay. Um, is yeah. <sighs> well, we'll keep praying. It's the best we can do. Is and I, not he's not. No, it's me today. He's not feeling well. Not. I was mentioning to uh, others that it's not that we're worried about kidney or something. He just has some sort of stomach problem today. So he's home. Yep.
need a bulletin because uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't remember why you were here in the first place. Good morning, everyone. Let's look at a couple of announcements, if we will. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Psalm 96, verse 9. Our memorial service for Suzanne Riffle is going to be held here on October the 9th. That's this coming Friday. Uh, starts at 6 o'clock and, and will end in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, 
the dinner will follow. Uh, it, it should be a, uh, a time of rejoicing. Uh, we're going to ask that uh, some of you folks that are involved with the preparations meet immediately after the church service so we can go over a couple of points uh, to make sure that it uh, comes off well. Uh, you see the note on the offering envelopes in the box. Uh, we're, we're doing the offering box again. Uh, Andrea, the contact number. Our days of praise. Booklets are here uh, for the next quarter along with the new acts and facts. Uh, oh, yes, we're having communion service today. So, uh, yes, we are. Uh, about a 10 or 15 minute interval after the small quick meeting uh, when you hear this uh, piano playing then uh, we'll regather for communion and uh, hopefully we've got some of the bugs worked out of it our uh, scripture for meditation is taken from the book of Psalm Psalm 122 page 966 in your pew Bible.
Would you stand as we begin our service with prayer? We're going to have a small departure from the uh, normal procedure this morning. First, I'm going to ask for any additional prayer requests that we have in our bulletins. And I'm going to select three of our brothers to uh, pray, uh, not just for the welfare of our church, but those specifically named. Uh, Clara Mae Westfall comes to mind. Our pastor is another. And who else that... Uh, comes to your mind. Uh, do we have any any prayer requests from the from the group? Okay. Our, there isn't a person in our church that isn't affected by somebody being laid aside and that's down, that's hurting. So I think just on this on this day, it's, it should be incumbent upon us to consider all of those uh, in prayer. Yes? She just got out of, out of surgery. And as most of you know, some of you may not, the pastor was turned down for his uh, kidney transplant with Ford Hospital. Uh, the family approached U of M uh, to see if they would consider it, and they are taking it under advisement. They found out that most of the testing has been completed, and it is now going to be basically up to the board of directors for the U of M Hospital to make that uh, decision. So uh, let's keep that in our prayer this day also. Brother George, I'm going to ask you to, to open. Dan, would you follow? And Dale, would you close in the prayer?
you, brethren. Please remain standing. Take your red hymnal this morning and turn to number 363, 363 in the red. <clears throat> This morning, <laughs> nobody has a favorite hymn this morning. Yeah, Dale, I know you were looking back at there that row. Don't look at them. <laughs> okay, they know. I think that's in the brown. They know that we are Christians. Let me see. Number 284, 284 in the brown. <clears throat> Do you have a reason for this hymn this morning? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. And it's, and it's got some fabulous words. So, all right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll pray. 
Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 31, and that would be page 1873 in the Pew Bible. When you've found your passage, would you kindly stand? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Father in heaven, please bless these words that you have given and draw the sinner to you in this hour. In the name of Christ, amen. You take your red hymnal again and turn to 381, 381 in the red.
Well, it's been a while since uh, I've been able to bring a message, uh, and George has told me repeatedly over the years to be ready to preach, pray, or die. I got a phone call yesterday from my dad saying <clears throat> he wasn't sure he was going to be able to be there today, and then later on that evening he called me and confirmed. He said, I am not going to be there. So I went back and looked at uh, the messages I had preached beforehand. And I found a message that I had preached at the beginning of my time preaching called, Why Go to Church? I thought it apropos, considering that we're trying to rebuild after the COVID crisis, and we're still amongst it, of course. I did edit it, and I did update it. I was drawing in some technology that we don't use anymore, like cassette tapes and VHS, and I took those out and updated that. And I also had a chance to address, at least in part at the end, uh, the COVID issues that we're facing today. I hope it will be a benefit for your soul. Uh, let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing on this His word. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be in your house, the freedom that we experience in this country to meet without fear of persecution, principles by which our country was founded. And Lord, even though we see those principles being eroded, we know that you are in complete control and you have a plan for this country as well as our church. Thank you for the ability to meet this morning, for able bodies that were able to attend. And Lord, we pray for those who weren't able to be here from sickness or other issues and reasons from being from us, Lord, that you would grant them grace. Help us this morning, Lord, to let go of our preconceived ideas that we have maybe held on to about why we attend church or why it's important to and Lord, I pray that by your word that you'll instruct us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In our modern day society, it is becoming ever increasingly difficult to find people who attend church regularly. This should be no surprise to us as Christians. As we see the day of evil approaching, we realize that people will become ever more resilient against God and godly things. Currently, less than half of Americans attend church. And unless God intervenes, we should expect this number to continue to drop as years pass on by. Our focus in our churches today is not so much directed to the unbeliever who can find little or no value in attending church, but rather the believer who possibly has attended a church since early in his or her youth. There are a few questions we need to ask ourselves as we begin this study this morning on attending church. Firstly, what does the Bible say about attending church? Does God actually mandate church attendance, or does the idea of attending a local church really come from the traditions of men? Secondly, what are our reasons for attending church? Do we attend church for the correct reasons? Maybe we have not seriously considered the severity of problems associated with lack of church attendance. And thirdly, what keeps us from church? What constitutes a good reason to miss and what is not? Let us endeavor to decipher the answers to these questions from God's word. Number one, going to church is a biblical requirement. So what does the Bible say about attending church? Hebrews 10, 23 and following says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Firstly, this command was given to the Jewish Christians who were facing extreme persecution for their faith. The writer of Hebrews exhorts them to continue to publicly meet together. If this command was given and obeyed by a church whose members risked physical harm for meeting together, what excuses our lack of attendance in a day and an age where we may meet openly without fear or persecution? In those days, we might easily have dismissed church attendance for safety's sake. And according to verse 25, that is exactly what some were doing. But instead, God, through the writer of Hebrews, encourages his church to meet. How sad, then, are reasons for missing services when others of our faith literally paid for their obedience to God's command with their own blood. Maybe we have grown too complacent and have fallen asleep in the blessing of God's grace and peace in our land. And I wonder what it will take to awaken us. As a Christian, obedience to God should not be an issue, and yet we struggle with obedience to his commands every day. When we lose this struggle and willfully choose not to obey, it is called sin. Frankly, our choice to either attend church or not attend church is ultimately a choice over whether we will be obedient or sinfully disobedient. We must also be careful not to enlist the law of averages in assessing our church attendance. Missing fewer service than we attend does not necessarily please God. God is not interested in our 75% attendance rating. God looks on the heart and will examine our reasons for not being at his house on the Lord's day as he commands. How do our reasons for not meeting to worship God compare with Jesus' charge to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Matthew 6, 23? Sadly, many of us would probably be ashamed if we were called on the carpet for our lack of attendance. And let me add, that is exactly what will happen on the day of judgment. It is not the semi-absent servant that Christ will praise, but rather it is to the steadfast servant to whom Christ will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Matthew 25, verse 21. If this is what we want to hear from our Savior, then let us be faithful and encourage one another to also be faithful. Secondly, the writer of Hebrews also states that we are not only to encourage one another to attend, but to do so all the more as the day, that is the judgment day, approaches, verse 25. We know that we are much closer to that day than the saints to whom this text was originally intended. How are we doing when it comes to encouraging each other to be faithful in our attendance? Do we become too shy because we are afraid we may hurt someone's feelings? Or are we silent because we too have missed church for reasons for which we're not proud? Once again, this is not a suggestion from God. It is his command that we encourage one another to be faithful. Secondly, going to church helps to prevent backsliding and apostasy. 
When we begin to assess the spiritual state of one of our members, what is the first thing that we look to? We look to their attendance in church. Oftentimes in the men's prayer meeting, we will make inquiries about members we have not seen in church for a while. Why do we do that? Because this is one of the outward signs that all is not well in the inward life of the believer. The Christian life is a struggle. It is a struggle that preoccupies our every ounce of strength to maintain. And so then, when we see someone slipping from regular attendance, we start to become concerned with the spiritual well-being of that individual, and rightly so. Years back, when I was in college, I was offered a job to be a choir director for a United Methodist Church. And seeing that I wanted to go into music education, I thought this would be a great addition to my rather blank resume. And I was right. It helped me land a steady job. But I also suffered in a great way for my short-sightedness. My new job required me to attend the Sunday morning worship service of that church. And I was away from the meeting of my home church and soon found out that the messages from the minister of the church for whom I worked did not feed my soul. Instead, I was instructed on the benefits of recycling and other ecological issues. During this time, I reasoned that I was only doing this for a short time and that I would soon be back amongst my church family. It was not until that job providentially and graciously ended that I saw how far I had fallen. You see, my backsliding was not a quick and noticeable event. Rather, it was an almost imperceptible movement that accumulated great amounts of my spiritual life until I was at the edge of apostasy. I had all but stopped my personal devotions, and my prayer life came to a screeching halt. And to this day, I still struggle with the effects of my neglect of the assembling of the body of believers to whom I pledged membership. Many of you may be able to relate in some way to my experience. Think about how easy it is to miss two services over missing just one. And as we continue to miss service after service, our seared consciences allow us to hardly even think about the consequences that we are accruing. As in my case, it will eventually necessitate an intervening act of God to awaken us to our true condition. The good news, however, is that following restoration to my church, and as the breath of the Holy Spirit filled my spiritual lungs, my spiritual life was restored, and my service to my true church increased to more service than before my fall into backsliding. Brethren, we must understand that according to Hebrews 10.25, missing church is not the predecessor to backsliding. Rather, it is backsliding. Truly, there is something very wrong in the heart of the believer that can be absent for church services and not be troubled in spirit. Where are you today? Do you yearn to be with the redeemed of the Lord every time the doors to this church are open? Or can you easily forsake the assembling of believers and not have it trouble your heart? Thirdly, going to church brings spiritual fellowship and encouragement. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by all the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In this text, we have a glimpse into the workings of the New Testament church. It says in verse 46 that they were meeting every day and that they were devoted to, among other things, fellowship. Now, what is fellowship? Is fellowship a mere social time where a group of people meets to discuss the weather, job issues, and updates on the children or grandchildren? No. I would offer to you that the before-mentioned activity is socializing and not fellowship. Fellowship is vastly different from socializing. Anyone can socialize, believer or unbeliever, but only Christians can have true biblical fellowship. The Bible speaks about fellowship in Ephesians 5, verses 19 and 20. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only people who can speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are Christians in whom the Holy Spirit is resident. You see, there is a spiritual connection that Christians share that far exceeds any physical familial connections on earth. True biblical fellowship leaves the trivial concerns of the world behind and brings conversation and connection on the spiritual level forward. There, our hearts can learn from others. They, they can be encouraged and admonished. Fellowship is as far above socializing as any spiritual reality is above the physical shadow. There are few places where we can exercise fellowship, but meeting with the saints of God in the local church is one. It is important to note that fellowship is not something secondary to our souls. God has made man a social creature. We define ourselves by our connections within our society. Think, if you were to go to work and have no interaction with anyone at any time, day after day, and then returning to home in the evening you were not married and you had no friends, thus you had no communication with anyone else on a meaningful level, what kind of person would you be? An introvert? Brethren, our souls are the same way. If we shut off all avenues of fellowship or don't take advantage of fellowship opportunities, our souls become dysfunctional spiritual introverts, never sharing, never relating, and ultimately never caring. We need fellowship and encouragement. Christ designed his church to be interdependent, to build itself up in the faith. This can only be done if the members are present and actively engaging in the exercise of true biblical fellowship. Sunday morning, television evangelists and even recordings of our own services cannot provide for all of your soul's needs. You need fellowship. You need encouragement. There is no such thing as a healthy, loner Christian. Going to church expresses obedience to the greatest commandment. 
Well, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, verses 34 and following. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. We heard earlier about duty to obey the commands of Christ. Now let's look at a better form of motivation. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And to the Christian, this should be the motive for everything that we do. We do what we do, not solely because we feel an obligation to Christ, but more because we love him. That is why the psalmist could say in Psalm 119, verse 46, I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. Now, it wasn't so much that David was enamored with just the commands given, but rather the giver of the commands. David's heart was in the right place. His devotion to God was unequaled in all of Israel's kings. It was this devotion to God that brought David to say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Oftentimes we enter this building with the idea of obligation and not with a heart that can't wait to meet with the saints to worship the Lord. You see, God continually looks on the heart and the motives for our actions. How devoted are we to God? When a family outing is planned for a Sunday, do we rationalize that we attend many Sunday services and missing just one is not going to hurt anything? Besides, we can just listen to the message online later and be right back on track anyways. Which, by the way, do we actually do that when we miss? What if our children have a school sport commitment or a concert that cannot be rescheduled? What about the weekend getaways with our spouses that do not allow for the worship of God? We may rationalize that these things are infrequent and actually very important to us. But before we allow ourselves to be taken away, let us look to Christ's poignant words on the subject. Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. As we already have discussed, God has commanded his children to assemble. When we choose to do something else over what God has commanded, we sin. And you may say, well, I'm supposed to love my family, aren't I? Not as much as Christ. Well, how about my spouse? I'm to love this person above all others. You are not to love them more than Christ. We also do damage to our Christian reputation by giving in. Your unsaved loved ones who expect you at the reunion or the soccer coach who scheduled the game will certainly see where your priorities lie if or if you don't attend because you're at church. The Christian life is one of sacrifice. Continuing on in Matthew 10, verse 38 includes, 
And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Where in your priorities have you placed God? If you answer, well, he's very, very high up, it's not good enough. Again, hear Christ's own words regarding his place in our hearts. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you love Christ? Then prove it by willingly and eagerly participating in his worship on the Lord's day. Be here. Prove your love by your actions, not just your words. Going to church follows Jesus' example. Who is our model for the Christian faith? Our parents? Our pastor? The Apostle Paul? No. It is Christ who is our most excellent model. Did Jesus attend church? Well, there wasn't a New Testament church during the times he walked on earth, of course. But he did meet in the Lord's house to worship. In Luke 4.16, it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Jesus was a very busy man. He knew his appointed time to die, and also what had to be accomplished before that event transpired. And someone who works towards a fast-approaching deadline will usually abandon all other time wasters in order to concentrate fully on comp completing the work at hand. We find here that Jesus did not choose to cut off meeting in his father's house. In our scramble to get things done, we must not look at Sunday as an optional day to finish what we were not able to complete during the last week. Do we want to be like Christ? Then we must follow Christ's example. Going to church enables you to hear in person the preaching of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. God has ordained the preaching of his word to be instrumental in the salvation, rebuke, and edification of his people. Preaching does no good without a person to actually listen and absorb the message spoken. So conversely, God has also ordained that we should listen to preaching as well. In olden days, this was only accomplished in the traditional manner of attending a church service. But in our present time, the explosion of media, with the variety and convenience of formats available, the Christian can easily listen to messages preached from a variety of sources, all from the comfort of his or her own home. And at first glance, this sounds wonderful. However, there are some serious pitfalls that can overtake us as we live in our ever-increasingly technological society. First of all, being at home and watching a service rather than participating in a live service 
excludes the dynamic quality found only in a live presentation of the gospel. Think for a moment if all of your communication with your spouse was done with recordings. Even video recordings would lack the intimacy that can be only experienced by physically being together and communicating face to face. Such is very true in the worship service. The Holy Spirit empowers the message and plants the seeds in the hearts of the listeners during a worship service. You cannot record the Holy Spirit and hence wondrous work on media. Secondly, in a live service, you cannot switch stations or turn off the speaker when the message becomes uncomfortable. At home, we can do just that. And by doing so, we begin to do what Paul had warned Timothy about in the before-mentioned passage. Look again to verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. How easy it is to merely change the channel, click a different link, or even turn off the device if conviction comes through the message of a particular speaker. Moreover, there are plenty of charlatans preaching a false gospel that might fit into our own warped theology on some different stations. And you probably can find someone who is preaching just exactly what you want to hear. But is that speaker's message biblical? In your own local church, you should expect that the pastor would hold to the doctrine that the church holds to and that the messages presented will be in accordance with the scriptures. Thirdly, the messages in a local church are sent from God to address the needs of that particular church, while recorded messages of other church services are sent from God to their particular churches. Brethren, your God is a personal God. He has messages designed that are sent right here to Thornville Baptist Church for you to hear, for you personally to hear. And it is certainly true that we can glean spiritual gems from these other pastors' messages. But it is better to hear a message from the Lord that was designed to be heard by you rather than to hear a message intended for someone else. Going to church allows you to take the Lord's Supper. There are certain activities that the Christian must partake of that can only be done within the context of the assembly of the local church. The foremost and continuing of these activities is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We know that we must participate in this special service of the church because Christ himself has commanded it. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Luke 22, verse 19. Brethren, this ordinance was not given to the individual Christian but rather to the church. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Paul states, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What Christian would not want to proclaim what the Lord has done by his death for them? A weak attendance record on the part of the Christian in this area not only shows a callous disregard for the commands of Christ, 
but also a serious amount of ingratitude for the ultimate sacrifice that the Lord of glory made for us worthless sinners. There are a few other things we need to consider and take note of when we are considering church attendance. Firstly, we must recognize that the local church is not a man-made idea. Rather, the church is an institution created by Christ, sustained by Christ, and owned by Christ. You and your spouse or you and your family do not a church make nor does your Bible study at work or at home with your friends constitute a church, or more relevantly, a substitute for church. Secondly, the church is a place where we may grow in the service of the saints. Can you employ your gifts to their full potential in a Bible study? Paul describes the church as a body. Can a heart function without the body? Can a body function without a heart? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, and also verse 31. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. God has given each one of us gifts and abilities. There is not one of us here who lacks gifts, not one. The gifts you have are not for your own personal enjoyment. Rather, the master, for the good of his church, has entrusted you with them. The local church is the avenue for your gifts. This is the place where they will be uh, cultivated and multiplied. In Ephesians 4.16, it says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In order for us to grow, each and every one of us must do our work. Otherwise, we become dysfunctional. If we choose to stay at home and refuse to share what God has given to us, then we will be like that wicked servant to whom Christ replied, Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verses 28 through 30. The utilization of our gifts must come from a heart that desires to give and not to get. I think often we come into worship service uh, expecting to receive something. And although this often happens, this should not be our direct focus. We should not come to church to be waited upon but rather to serve. If we leave a worship service and say to ourselves, well, I didn't get much out of that service, then we have come into God's house with the wrong motives. Rather, we should be able to say, what an excellent opportunity I had today to serve. I'm so glad I could be part of honoring God by what I did. There should be no spectators in the worship of God. 
only participants. Thirdly, the regular attendance of church keeps our lives balanced and grounded. No one can discount the effects of sin in our lives. Sin permeates everything we do. It also permeates our theology. When we are apart from the body of believers, we have no one to help us keep in check as we formulate understandings of passages we may read in our personal devotions. All of us needs to be realigned with the truth of God's word on a consistent basis. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Or again, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 18 and 19, Paul states, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. You see, God has given all Christians some understanding of his word, but he hasn't given all of it to one person. We need to talk and to sharpen each other by hammering out differences according to the word of God. And without these checks and balances in our understanding, erroneous thoughts become erroneous actions that lead us ever more away from the truth we possess, profess to have. Now, what are some applications? We have looked at some biblical reasons for attending church. Now, look at some practical applications, I hope, of these truths for our church here at Thornville. First, if we have been remiss, we need to ask forgiveness of God and our fellow members for being remiss in our duties. We also need to ask for repentance so that we might not slip back into apathy. And then, in faith that God will grant repentance, we need to act and start being faithful to Christ and start attending and being more active in the services at Thornville. And I am not just talking about Sunday morning worship service. Our Wednesday night prayer meeting service needs special consideration. And you can rightly judge the spiritual health of a church by its prayer life. And there are members of this church who haven't been to a prayer meeting in more time than they can remember. Brethren, there is nothing more encouraging than sitting among other brothers and sisters of Christ, offering our prayers together, corporately, and watching our powerful God answer in a quick and mighty way. God has blessed this little church with an abundance of answered prayer. And I believe by his actions, that is, his answering the prayers of our church, he is encouraging us to pray more. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I encourage you to come and to be a part of the miraculous working of God. God uses our prayers to accomplish his will. What Christian wouldn't want to be a part of that? Secondly, I believe we need to take a close look at what we call fellowship. And as we leave our worship service, we need to continue to ponder what has been said and talk with others about what ministered to our hearts. Fellowship is not an easy task. It requires courage and a willingness to expose our knowledge or lack thereof. However, if we are open with each other and let our invisible guard down, we will be educated by godly instruction instruction 
edified by godly encouragement or both. The end result will be more mature Christians in our assembly, and we will see that the strength of our unity will increase. Maybe we could investigate more opportunities for true Christian fellowship. If someone would open their home or even as we as a church collected following worship services and spent some time in fellowship, I believe that God would bless this effort. Thirdly, we need to do some serious thinking as to our motives for being present at this little country church. What do we come here for? Do we come out of a desire to please our Lord? Do we come out of duty or habit or worse yet, compulsion? Do we come to be served or to serve? Once again, the scriptures stand convicting us of our failures, but what will we do? And I challenge you to seek out opportunities for service in this church. Don't wait for someone to come and ask you to be part of a project. The body of Christ has long been without some fully functioning vital organs. Be proactive in perfecting your faith. God will reward our faithfulness. Let us strive to be able on that great day to present ourselves as a fully functioning body and not a dysfunctional one. Do some of us come out of a feeling of duty or habit? Do we find that doing work in the church is a drudgery? If so, then I suggest that we pray for a change of heart. Pray that God would have us fall in love with our Savior all over again. To do something difficult out of sheer obligation brings no contentment to the effort. Ah, but to do something difficult out of a heart that longs to demonstrate its love by what it does, this brings immense joy. Additionally, my brethren, as an elder of this church, I greatly worry about the lack of desire to be with God's people that I see in some of our members. Some members seem to be here, but are not here, and function on the internal creed of, I love God, sure, but I really don't like being around his children. This attitude needs to be addressed and corrected. Jesus directly correlates love for him with love for his people. John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Look again to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? Or in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Here we see that to truly demonstrate love for Christ, we must do so in being with and addressing the needs of Christ's brothers. If you can't even stand being with the people for whom Christ gave his precious blood to redeem, how can you say that you love him? How can you believe that? 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Or a little later in John 3, verses 10 and following. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Brethren, a lack of love for the brothers and sisters of Christ demonstrates a lack of love for Christ himself. If you do everything in your power to be absent from God's people on Sundays, you may end up being absent from God's presence in eternity. Are you wheat or are you chaff? Are you sheep or are you a goat? Check your heart. Check to see if it's really beating. Will it be said of you, they went out from us, but they were not of us? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 1 John 2 verse 19. 
Lastly, in light of our current situation with COVID-19, we have had a reason not to go to church. And instead of giving you my personal thoughts concerning whether or not it is right to gather or not to gather, I've decided to read to you an edited summation of Martin Luther's response to the recurrence of the bubonic plague by Dr. Stephen Nichols of Ligonier Ministries. This is taken from Dr. Nichols' podcast, Five Minutes in Church History. I highly recommend this podcast to you. Dr. Nichols begins, We're going to look at faith in times of plague. We're going back to the year 1527 and to Martin Luther. Luther lived through a plague and wrote about it. In November of 1527, Luther published a little pamphlet titled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Now, the plague he was talking about was the bubonic plague, and that is the Black Death. In the years around 1350, the plague was so devastating to Europe that it took about a third of the population. The plague receded, and then it recurred centuries later. And one of those recurrences came to Wittenberg in the summer of 1527. By November, Luther decided to write his pamphlet, and it's full of all kinds of practical advice on how to respond. Luther even talks about the building of hospitals and how hospitals should be built in such a way as to protect the medical staff as they serve those who are suffering from a plague. There's a lot that we can learn from Luther's pamphlet and much we should pay attention to, especially one particular paragraph toward the end. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Praying for God's merciful protection of us is all a great place for us to start. Then I shall fumigate. He says he will fumigate his house. He'll fumigate the yard. He'll fumigate the street. Now, I'm not sure what fumigating looked like in the 16th century, but whatever it was, Luther was advocating for it. He goes on to say that he will help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to become contaminated, not to become contaminated, and thus perchance infect and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. There we see Luther offering practical advice on how to respond, taking medicine and so forth, and being careful. In fact, we see Luther practicing what we would call today social distancing. Luther goes on to say, If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. Again, we see Luther following the regulations, but also recognizing that he needs to put love of neighbors first. And then Luther ends with this. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Luther is outlining for us what faith in God looks like in time of plague. He says it's not brash, it's not foolhardy. We do look before we cross the street. My neighborhood street doesn't get much traffic, but I still look when I cross it. But if I were to cross a four-lane highway, I'd probably look a bit more carefully. And so we have to be extra careful in these times as we exercise our faith, that we not do it brashly or in a foolhardy way. But nevertheless, we realize in these times of plague, as Luther is advising his congregation and advising us through this pamphlet that has survived through the centuries, 
that we are to trust in God. So there is Martin Luther reminding us that in times of plague, we trust in God. We pray mercifully for his protection and his protection for us all. End quote. Martin Luther's pamphlet was written in response to Christians on both sides of the issue. On one hand, Luther makes it clear that God gives humans a tendency towards self-protection and trust that they will take care of their bodies. Ephesians 5, 29, 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. All of us, Luther says, have the responsibility of warding off this poison to the best of our ability because God has commanded us to care for the body. And on the other hand, Luther argued that anyone who stands in a relationship of service to another has a vocational commitment not to flee. Those in ministry, he wrote, must remain steadfast before the peril of death. The sick and dying need a good shepherd who will strengthen and comfort them and administer the sacraments. Public officials, including mayors and judges, are to stay and maintain civic order. Public servants, including city-sponsored physicians and police officers, must continue their professional duties. Even parents and guardians have a vocational duties towards their children. And more importantly, in order to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have a biblical duty set before us by Christ to continue to minister directly to the needs of others, even at peril of death. Ultimately, Luther encouraged his readers to meditate in Scripture and pray for God to grant direction. This is good advice for our times as well. For those in this assembly this morning who do not know this Savior that we desire to honor, let me first say that attendance in a local church does not merit you favor with God. There will be unbelievers in hell that were more faithful in church attendance than some of, of a church's particular congregations save members. Yet they did not know the Jesus who created and cultivated the church. Christ is the head of this body of believers. Before you can be a part of the body, you must know the head. Why do we honor him? Why do Christians worship him? What is it that he has done that has so enamored us with him? And let us first start with where we were. Each Christian here today was in the same place before God found us. We had sold ourselves to sin. We were chained in our lusts and held captive in death's stronghold. And by our very nature, we were objects of God's just wrath. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we sin, there is a separation from God. For God cannot look upon sin. Left in this condition, our souls would have received the death penalty under the wrath of God because God is holy and he must punish sin. But God, ever gracious and ever merciful, sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to take the penalty for our sin. He walked on earth completely sinless and not under the wrath of God. Of Christ, the scriptures say, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. He willingly gave up his life for us and paid the very price for which we sold ourselves into sin. And now we stand blameless before God for the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future, has been meted out upon Jesus Christ. And not only did he die for us, he also rose from the dead, his victory over sin and death complete. 
and he ascended into heaven where he ever intercedes for us to the Father. This power of resurrection each Christian has experienced firsthand. For in our deplorable condition, God took our lifeless hearts, hearts of stone, and resurrected them to ones of life. He called us out of our sin and caused us by the power of the Holy Spirit to come alive and to live for him. That is why we meet and assemble to praise God. We now have peace with God, and we are no longer objects of his wrath, but we ever remain the objects of his mercy. And one day, we will be with him forever. You can know this Jesus too. The scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. I encourage you this morning, call on the name of the Lord and ask him to forgive your sins and bring you into a right relationship, a correct relationship with him. Then and only then, will all be well with your soul. Attending church will become a joy rather than a duty. You will actually want to be with God's people to collectively worship this great Savior. And your heart will yearn more and more each day to be with the lover of your soul, Jesus Christ. And once, finally with him, join the redeemed of God in the great never-ending worship service. That's God's blessing on our time this morning. Father, our hearts long for that day to be with you in glory. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us that while we're on earth to be faithful people, to be people whose lives are marked by faithfulness, and that we will do so because of our love for you, Lord. You say later in Scripture, Lord, that the one who has been forgiven little loves little, and the one who has been forgiven much loves much. So, Lord, I wonder where we are in our hearts. Have we been forgiven little or have we been forgiven much? I pray that our actions demonstrate that we have been forgiven a great deal. Please bless us this morning. Bring honor to you, Jesus Christ, by your word. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Our closing hymn, I don't have the bulletin in front of me. 347 in the red. Thank you. 347 in the red. 347. Shall we stand together? Jesus. 
remind you of the meeting up here uh, as soon as we end uh, for the memorial service for Suzanne. And we'll take a 10 to 15 minute break and gather at the Lord's table. We're dismissed.